0: Tell you, God, God is truly amazing. You know, I, I've I've known, I've known that there would be a part two to what we started last week, and he he even showed me that there will be a part three next week. I don't know if it'll be called the same thing, but but what's extraordinary to me is he waits till this morning to to give me this epiphany and it was right during worship that he gives me this epiphany that I, I'm excited to tell you guys about. Because the structure of relationship that we have with him, that he's laid out, is really extraordinary. And I think part of understanding who he is, and part of, of navigating this relationship with him, is understanding the structure of that relationship. It's it's understanding the expectation both ways. What he expects of us, certainly in this relationship, but what we can expect of him in this relationship. And and so so structure of this is, is so important. I think that's why Paul spent so much time on it. I mean, it, literally, the whole book of Hebrews is is on this shift, and and for that matter, so is Romans. It, it's on this shift of of what's called this new covenant of what Jesus did on the cross. All four Gospels go through what Jesus did in His life that literally bought the freedom for you and for me. So, so I want you to turn to Hebrews. And uh, we're going to talk about this, but but I, I want to mention this too. And and you know, it's it's always it's always difficult to look out there and recognize that that uh, Carson was in too much pain to be here this morning. Uh, although I know I know that he's online and join, joins us if if he hasn't already will join us online. But I want to say something. To you, Carson, over anybody else, we're close. Really close. Mm -hmm. And I say that to him, I say that to his family, and I know they know that. And I, but, but I don't say that with, with empty weight behind it. I, I say that with the very power of God in those words. Because we're close as a church. You know, the Holy Spirit's been promised. The Bible says that it's promised all those who serve and ask for him. Right? But I said years ago, what would it be like if we had a group of people where every one of them would become sold out for Jesus Christ? What would that look like? And, and to me, that's what the, the book of Acts looks like. Difference is we are at a different time. See, the book of Acts is when the church began. That's when literally the church was birthed in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. And, and it, it, it had this power that was unrecognizable by those in that day. As anything but Jesus Christ. Because see, those, those disciples that became apostles, and then there were more apostles added, they recognized in Jesus' life what He had done, and this became a mirror of what He had done. The very proof of which, the very proof of which shows Jesus Christ is alive today. See, he showed himself after he rose from the dead, he showed himself to over 500 people. But since then, there's been billions and billions of people on the earth. So, so how did they reconcile outside of those 500 people that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? It's because he's alive. It's because when he's alive, he's in, you let him, he's at work in your life. You don't need the testimony of those 500 people when it becomes your own testimony. And it's it's different, I can tell you from being saved for 45 years, it's different saying that he is alive because I believe it because the word says it, versus he is alive and I believe it, why? Because I'm right there with him. I speak to Him and He speaks to me. I have relationship with Him that is proof in and of itself that He lives. And that relationship takes us back to His Word and is proven out in His Word in every word, every piece of it. So God is beginning to reveal to the bride, beginning to reveal to the church this concept of relationship, and it, man, it goes so much deeper than we can even fathom right now. Because it, it drives me insane when things start to become buzzwords in the church, right? i never forget. And, and, and it's not a bad thing. Please understand that's how we kind of communicate. And, well, we know this word means this, so we're going to use this word to mean this, right? I, I remember... I remember first time I went to the last church I went to, and and I had not been indoctrinated into the the real message of grace. Right? And there there now I understood grace. I understood his love from a certain aspect, but God had to do so much more work on me. Well there there were certain words that took me a second to really understand, and then once I understood them, they started to drive me nuts. And we still use them today. The body, the body. Drives me insane. The body, the body. What is the body? The body of Christ. Well, we know that that's what it is, but, but you know, God, we're just so thankful for the body. Okay, and that's a buzzword, and and you don't have to be like me. You don't have to be this cynical, whatever. It just... Drives me nuts about certain, you know, Christianese language. Okay. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that the church, the overall church begins to adopt words that they put within a parameter of definition and they hold it there and keep it there and in, in literal sense, it loses its power. See, that's what happened to the body. See, the body of Christ is to be powerful. The body of Christ is to be individuals that come together in agreement because they're brother and sister. Not an identification. I mean, yes, we are identified with Christ. We're, as a child of God, I am identified as God's child, as Jesus' brother. I'm adopted into the family, right? Right? I identify as that, but see, as I identify in the body, I don't lose my individuality. Why? Because I play a specific puzzle piece that the Lord has full molded me and fashioned me into. And, and then you have the other flip side of that, where you say that, well, I, I'm, I'm part of the bride, but I really don't hang out with them. Right? I, I don't associate with them because, for whatever reason. So we can do just the opposite. We can pull ourselves out of this because of that very label. I do not want the bride, the body, to associate the word relationship with something that you can put in a box. And, and I, I get this sense out there, you know, you get on social media, you hear, hear preachers, whatever. I get the sense that that's exactly what Satan's trying to do. Because now it's a buzzword between the, the religious system and the relationship. Okay, two buzzwords there, by the way. That when Satan can begin to redefine those, he could blur the lines. See, that's why we're going through this idea of a new covenant. And the old covenant, which was the law. See, Jesus didn't say, don't be a religious system person. Be a, a relationship person. And, and that gives, you know, I flood you with my grace. You can do what you want to do. Just kind of do it with me. That's, that's dangerous. That's dangerous ground to be there. But it's also dangerous ground when a church decides what your relationship is to be with God. See, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want me to learn everything I can about relationship just so I can tell you about it and, and kind of guide you through it. And that's, that's, That's a job he gave me, but not to do it for you, right? Because he wants it from you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to know his word. You have access to his word just like I do. There's no excuse to not knowing his word. You can't say, well, yeah, but this is kind of your job. You're you're kind of a preacher, and that's kind of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, for the last three and a half years. But before that, spending 25 years teaching the Word of God, I still had to be in the Word of God. I still had to develop a hunger for the Word of God. Do you have a hunger for a relationship with Him? If you have it, then you will develop a hunger for His Word. And then as you get into it, He's going to give you epiphanies like what He shared with me this morning. That's extraordinary. extraordinary. See, this concept of relationship, he gives us tools in this concept. One of them is the Word of God, right? One of them is how he speaks to us, how we can speak to him. That communication, for lack of a better word, is is a tool in a relationship. When Alexa and I, we've been married almost 30 years. If we did not have the tool of communication... It wouldn't be a successful marriage. Why? Because I've got to tell her what to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's a mistake when she gets the mic next. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why I do that. I hope your shed is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: There will be no hecklers here. <laughs> No, but, that's... but, <laughs> but in, in truth though, if we didn't have communication, if we did not have the tool of communication, we could not grow together, we could not understand one another, we could not let each other know when something bothers us, we could not let each other know when something thrills us. Right? Communication is what helps build that relationship. So why do we think Why does the bride think that communication and relationship with Jesus Christ is one way only? Or, Or somehow disconnected? That I can read a letter about Him and know Him? Whew. That's tough. Because you can know the word of God up one side and down the other. And know everything about it. You can have it completely memorized. And yet it had very little effect in your life. Because if you don't apply the fact that he is building relationship with you. That includes communication. Then you're missing something very important. So he begins to open this up and begins to teach the bride that she is no longer to be separated. Cause he doesn't want to, I mean, think about it, that's what got Solomon in trouble. He married a bunch of brides. Right? He, he, Jesus doesn't want to come and claim his brides, plural. He doesn't want to harem. If He wants to claim his bride. That means that bride has to be unified. And the only way possible for that bride to be unified is relationship in Jesus Christ because that's the very thing that we have in common. I don't know about you, but we have a very eclectic church, right? I mean, y'all are really weird. I am a, seriously the only normal person in this church. Okay, I'm sorry, me and Peter. Me and Peter are the only two normal people in the I need somebody on my side. No. We are an eclectic church. We're we're an eclectic church and 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 yet God has mandated within this eclectic church that we're to build a relationship together, that we're to get not just get along, but we're to thrive together and that's a picture of what he wants to do overall is he wants his bride to thrive i haven't quoted it in a while revelation 3 9 if you haven't heard that go look it up (laughs) right it's it's where literally the world will recognize will recognize that the bride or the church has the favor of god See, the world will only recognize that when we're unified. The world's only going to recognize that when literally the power of God is working through the church. That doesn't happen in a religious system. A religious system is what killed Jesus Christ's body in the first place. That's what hung Him on a cross. It wasn't the government. It was the religious system. It was the religious system that wanted to put parameters on on who they thought God was and hold them to those parameters. That is not what God wants. That is not who God is. Did God die for just people in general, or did He die for you and you and you and me? He died for us individually. Why? Because he wanted relationship with us individually. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Now where we left off last week, we talked about the, you know, the the last verse of of uh, chapter 8. You know, talked about this new covenant. And why? Because he's making the... You know, why did the new covenant come? Which, by the way, the new covenant is in Jesus Christ's blood. It was the shedding of his blood. And it made the first one obsolete, or the need for it obsolete. He said, and what is becoming obsolete, that's a really important word there, don't take the becoming out. Okay? Because it said, until... His plan is fulfilled. In fact, it says until heaven and earth are made new, Amen. recreated, that not one jot, one tittle will be removed from the law, but will all be fulfilled. So, so don't look at this and say, well, the, yeah, the law is now obsolete. It's now completed. Jesus completed it. No. He did complete it for Himself. He gave us the opportunity to move past it with ourselves. Because, see, we cannot do it by ourselves. We can't live a sinless life. Have you ever tried? It doesn't work. Even if you're really good, it doesn't work. Why? Because we're sinful flesh. By the way, I want to encourage you to do something. If you've never done this before, When you ask forgiveness and and you're spending your time with the Lord and just asking forgiveness to cleanse, to make that relationship new, ask forgiveness for your sinful flesh. See, we're told that we're born in sinful flesh. Our, Our body, our flesh strives against God. There's power in asking forgiveness for that and because we remain in simple flesh until our glorified bodies just continue asking for it but recognize that the law is becoming obsolete it is not obsolete now and and well the writer of hebrews who i believe is paul is laying out this thought process why because he's talking to the jewish nation right the the very nation that that killed Christ, that killed Jesus, and he's, he's laying out for them this idea of what Christ really did. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 9, but I do want to point a couple things out, and this is where the epiphany came and hit me this morning. We talk about the courts, and And that that's that may be a new buzzword. <laughs> Let's try not to make it a buzzword. It may be a, a a new way to think about an old process. See, the courts were always there. The courts, in fact, were established with the tabernacle with Moses, right? If, if you understand the tabernacle that then became the temple okay, that then literally became the body of Christ, right? And then now he dwells in us because we are his temple, okay? But think about the temple going from the tabernacle, which was a tent and moved around all, all, all the time whenever God would move them, then became under Solomon a temple, okay, having the same structure, and then became Christ's body. But in that, in the tabernacle, the structure was an outer court. It was called, it was called the holy place. Okay, where they had different functions, different, different sacrifices were given. The priests, that's where they worked in the holy place. That's where they would offer the, the sacrifices for those who would come and, 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 you know, ask forgiveness and that sort of thing. That's where they operated. But then there was a veil. And there was an inner chamber called the Holy of Holies. Okay, this inner chamber was where the Ark of the Covenant was. Literally where the, the Spirit of God would rest and would stay. That's why they weren't allowed in there but once a year. They were only allowed in there once a year. And, and I think I mentioned it last week. That's why they tied a rope to their ankle and put bells on their ankle. And we, we think that's funny, but it, it's it, it was for a true purpose. It's because if they heard those bells stop ringing after a period of time, they knew that that high priest was not cleansed before he went in there, and God took his life. So they would pull him on out. You know, you can imagine if if the if you're the high priest and you are cleansed and and you're you're doing something kind of stationary in a place. For, For too long, you probably do this. Just so they don't pull you out of there, right? But they were only allowed in there once a year. This is the epiphany. Verse 7 of chapter 9. But into the second only the high priest goes, into that holy of holies. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people glossed over that so many times. But there's a word that stood out to me this morning. The unintentional sins of the people. See, I used to think that 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 was for the main sins of the people. That's what the high priest would go in there for. But then I got to thinking, Lord, as a picture of relationship, how, how does that... How does that work what is, What does that really look like and that 's when he showed me that this is exactly what 's going on now in the courts see jesus and and if you again we won 't do it this morning, but if you were to go through the rest of chapter nine and get into the beginning of chapter ten, you would recognize that what Jesus did in coming and, and living a perfect life and offering His life as a sacrifice, He became that, that single sacrifice that was offered. It, it said in there that, that the tabernacle, or then the temple, was really just a replica. It was a simple vision of what the true temple was, which was in heaven. But no man could break that barrier, and and again, I'm not going to go through it. I, I encourage you to read chapter nine and the beginning of ten. For well, that, I'm going to read all of Hebrews. It's really extraordinary. Okay, but this picture that the temple was was only a picture of what the real temple is in in heaven, where the Father sits. Right? Where the Father sits. So when Jesus came and died on the cross, He broke the barrier between the vision of what it is on earth to the actual temple in heaven. That's why the veil was torn. Jesus then became a mediator. Because He had the right to access. So it says that's why he went and sat at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father in court, if you will. So from that process, he set up a process for us to build relationship with him. We've talked about the courts a lot and and how... You know, there is a measure of going to the courts when you just are praying and asking Jesus for cleansing. I want to paint a picture of the fact that that is like the outer holy place in the tabernacle or the temple. Where you ask Jesus forgiveness for your sin, those are deliverables, those are known sin. Things that we know, yeah, I I did it again. I need to go before the Lord and ask forgiveness. Those are are known sins. See, but the Bible talks about many unknown sin. And, And the picture of what the high priest did once a year was to go in and pay the price for those unknown sins. What are they? They're unknown but each of us have them in our lives. I can tell you from being part of, of going to the courts for, for a couple dozen people now, that that oftentimes it's what's said out of Deuteronomy that there are sins handed down to the third and fourth generation. There are sins that the children take on because of their parents and because of their Grandparents. Now, be careful because Jeremiah says that in his kingdom, the children will no longer have to pay for the sins of the father. Right? Okay, I want to encourage you, read a little deeper. Recognize what you're reading in Jeremiah. It is a picture of his earthly kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. Because if you look, the other things aren't in place yet. Where all of Israel will believe. He will write it upon their hearts. That's the new covenant to Israel. He will write it upon their hearts and upon their minds who Jesus is. And all will believe. I'm, I'm pretty sure all Jews don't believe right now. Right? In fact, you go over to Israel and you'll recognize that, that as a nation they don't believe. So understand what it says in Jeremiah is still to come. But until that point, we have this advocate. We have this high priest. Uh, Hebrews says he becomes our high priest. He took the place of that high priest to go into the court. So we have access through him in that outer court say, forgive me. I, I desire to build relationship with you, so so you need to br- help me break down these barriers of sin that keep us from from relationship. But understand that there are other barriers in our lives that we don't know about. That's why we go to the court. That's why we can go and we can say, Jesus, just like David did. Show me anything, anything in my heart, in my life that is displeasing to you, show me that I might be purified before you. See, David didn't say, well, as long as I don't know about it, I'm automatically pure. There's a scary thought right there. See, what that tells you is that there is this opportunity he opens us up to in the courts, is not only something that is, it's there if you want it. But what he's saying is, it's there because you need it. Because there are authorities that we can have in our lives that we're unaware of. Now, on this earth, we call them tendencies. We call them personality. Well, you know what? I, I, I just was born a grump and stayed a grump. I'm just a grump. It's just who I am, but it's okay because, you know, I got my friends and, and we all just kind of move through and whatever. See, what part of the word of God do we see that that is who Christ is? Well, you know, I, I just tell white lies. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's, I, I just tell things to make my life a little easier. You know, because if I told the truth, well, then it would not be so easy. Now, again, where does it say that in the Word of God? Where does it say in there that we are supposed to manipulate who we are to make our lives easier? No, see, this is what we can go to the court for. This is what we can then recognize what those authorities are. By the way, if if, if we go to the court, and I want to say this because many of you have now, And and this is an important thing to understand about the courts, okay? The courts are there to break authorities, right? It doesn't automatically seal you in some bubble to where you can never sin again. In fact, one thing I will guarantee you, if you go to the courts and you get rid of an authority that has plagued you, it will still try to come after you. Difference is, it doesn't have authority. It's it's a simple process at that point. It's understanding who I am in Jesus Christ and understanding that the Bible said, if I resist the devil, he has to flee. And and I've told you this a a hundred times. If, If you ever resist the devil and he doesn't flee, go tattle on him. (laughs) Say, Father, he is not heeding your word. And I promise you, like that I'll be gone. I promise you. Because if there is no, no authority for him to stay, he cannot stay. Now if he stays, then it might be something else you want to consider. There might be an authority that you gave, a stronghold that you gave there. But do you see what what Jesus Christ did? Is Jesus Christ, by literally breaking the veil of heaven, He became that temple. When we accept Him into our heart, what happens? It says, we are in Him. He said, you know the Father because I am in the Father. And you are in Me. And because you are in Me, you know the Father. He told His disciples that. We don't know the Father outside of Jesus. Why? Because he became the temple for us. He became that one-time sacrifice that paid for our sin. But even with that, he didn't get rid of the need for us to be real and ask forgiveness with him. If that was over, then the law would have been complete and would have truly been obsolete instead of becoming obsolete. So we, we have a simple task in our lives in this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what kind of career do I need? What kind of job do I need to make money? What kind of friends should I have? What kind of car should I drive? What kind of school should I go to? See, it's none of those things. Those are all, those are all external things that if we pay attention to the one thing, He begins to work out. And that one thing is, what barriers are between you and Jesus Christ? First of all, justification is going to be the first one. What, what, the bride, calls salvation. Okay, salvation we know is really in, in three parts in the Word of God, but the justification part of it is what we typically call salvation. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, invited Him in to take control of your life, to literally give your life to Him, if you've not done that, then you have no access in the courts. You have no access... In Him being your your high priest, just like in in the Old Testament before Jesus came, before before the um, Gentiles were grafted in, you had to go to Jerusalem to worship. You had to go to Jerusalem to offer your sacrifice. You had to literally believe in what Israel believes in, adhere to the law, and offer it there. See, so right now, the thing that allows us to begin building relationship is our justification of sin. How am I justified? I'm justified because I received Jesus Christ into my heart. I gave him my life. Now see, that could be a tricky thing too. Because I can lie to people. You know, I just want to be a part of this church. Or I just want to be part of this group of friends. So yeah, heck yeah, I can, I can do that. I could say that. But the word said that God knows our hearts. But on the flip side, I could tell you that when you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And he covers you, justifies you in his blood it opens up opportunity for you then to build that relationship that we're talking about. And in that relationship, we have this full assurance that he will do his part. No matter what, he will do his part. Now, now, by the way, I want to point out just real quick, verse 14 of uh, chapter 10. Well, let me go to 13 first. Waiting from that time until his... In this one, Jesus ascended into heaven. He was at the right hand of the Father. Waiting from that time until his enemies, Jesus' enemies, should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Jesus' life, a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, we're not automatically sanctified when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts. You ask, how do you know that, Greg? <laughs> well, because I could choose to sin. Have you ever known anybody when they accepted Jesus Christ into their heart that they never sinned again the rest of their life? No, it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we are sealed. Our spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we are God's. Period. We can't even, we can't even take it back if we wanted to. But yet we still have a will, which is our mind. We have choice. We still have a body, which we can choose to control. We can choose sin in our will, or in our body. That's why the need for relationship was even grafted in. Because we can go to those outer courts, just like the priests did, and ask forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for how I talked to that person yesterday. Forgive me, God. First of all, I I don't want the effect to be on them, but God, I don't want anything between us. I don't want any barrier between us and in this relationship. So forgive me. And see, it says that Jesus is righteous and just, and He will immediately forgive. Let's go on. I want want to go down to verse 19 and go through a few verses here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Now, this is each of us individually. We don't have to have some priest do this for us. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, His sacrifice on the cross, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. What does this mean? The only way you could draw near. How could those priests draw near to the Holy of Holies? It was by offering their sacrifice in the holy place. That was a continual, everyday thing. That wasn't a a once-a-year thing. And the high priest was held accountable more than anyone else because they were the only ones allowed into the Holy of Holies. But they had to be cleansed before they could do that. This was outside of relationship. But it says here with, to draw near with a true heart, with your true heart intention. See, we've said it before. Jesus knows your heart. I could sit up here and I can I could preach. And you can receive it. You can look all good and you can you could be whatever you think looks good to everybody else. But God knows your heart. See, God knows the barriers that are between you and him, the walls that are between you and him. See, it's so It's really hard to get around those walls sometimes. You ever, you ever watch the Navy SEALs and how they, they go through their rigorous training and they gotta go and climb these ridiculous high walls and, and, and it takes a lot of effort. Wouldn't it be so much easier just to take a thing of C4 and blow the wall up? Run right through it. Right? See, that's what Jesus is saying with relationship. With relationship, if there's a wall, a barrier between you and him, it's so much harder to function. See, when, when, we, when we feel guilty about something that we know, certainly we know is sin, and we continue choosing to do it, choosing to sin, we're making that wall higher and higher and higher why because we literally give authority to the enemy who's the wall builder it's it's like here 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 i just i just bought enough for you to lay two more courses of brick cuz i'm giving you authority in my life to do it but here's the new covenant it doesn't take a lifetime to break down those walls. It just takes what was written here, Draw near with a true heart, with true intentions. When you go before the Lord and you ask forgiveness of sin, you can go with a true heart wanting that forgiveness. And He says, go with full assurance of faith. Full assurance that you're going to be forgiven. Full assurance that He will break that wall down when you break that authority. Because forgiveness breaks that authority. Forgiveness, when you ask forgiveness, it cleans up the capability of you having more of a free flow communication back and forth with Jesus Christ. I've had many people ask me, well, how how do you hear from God? How, how do you how do you learn his voice? How how do you know that that he's speaking with you? First of all, let me guarantee you something: he's speaking to each one of you. He doesn't stop, but the problem is, we don't know his voice. It says my sheep, they know his voice, but they have to learn his voice. A sheep who is born into the pen still has to learn the shepherd's voice and when they know the shepherd's voice they will not depart from it. So as you build this relationship with Jesus Christ you are going to Him. You're asking forgiveness for the things you know. The things that 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 you're aware of in sin because it breaks down those very barriers that, that try and keep you away. Keep reading. Let us hold fast, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider, and and by the way, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What's it talking about? It's talking about asking forgiveness for sin when we go into that outer court and we're talking to Jesus and we're, we're confessing to Him those barriers that are between us, it said, let us hold fast to that. And at the end it said, why? Because He who promised is faithful. You can believe that He will forgive you. Now, I, I get it. I know it gets tough when, when, you're, when you're stuck in something that you do over and over and over again. That's a tough place. Pornography is a big one of those. That's a really tough place because you ask forgiveness, you fight it, fight it, fight it, and fail. So what do you do then? I'll tell you what the enemy has you do you know what, it's easier just worry about some other parts of your life, compartmentalize this one, we'll deal with this later. Okay, this is all the thinking that goes on in the back of your mind. But that's not freedom. That's literally sending a purchase of a higher wall. See, the Bible doesn't say if you ask forgiveness I'll forgive you seven times for this but then it's over. That eighth time you better not do it because I'm not going to forgive you after that. Jesus actually made that one really clear when Peter said how many times should I forgive a brother who offends me? Seven times? And he kind of said that piously like seven whole times Lord? And Jesus said no seventy times seven. Now, first of all, why did he use it? 70 times 7, 490, what's that about? Well, see, the Lord never gives an example of something he hasn't already done. Because, see, 490 years, Israel did not let the land have their year of rest. And Jesus forgave them for each of those. So he said to Peter, 7 times 7. And, and by the way, when you get to 490 times, then keep going. Why? Because Jesus did. If you ask forgiveness, you will be forgiven. Now the difference is, if you really want to have a stronghold broken in your life, that stronghold is not broken just through forgiveness. Forgiveness sets the stage for it. But see, clearly when you're in a stronghold, especially one like pornography, where you go and fail and go, go, go and fail and 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 you can't get out of that cycle, forgiveness sets the stage to then ask for His power. Jesus never intended for you to go through this life by yourself. And to fight sin by yourself. You don't have to. You can say, Lord, forgive me for this. I don't want this. But I need your help. I, I, I need your help in, in conquering this thing. And, and by the way, guys, and probably girls now too, but guys, don't assume that, well, it'll it'll all just be okay once I'm married. Because that is an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. Why? Because Satan, he, he, he has a hunger that is never quenched. The only quenching of Satan's hunger will be in your death. But there is power let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why? Because we can be a help to each other. I can't tell you how many young men have come to me and talked to me about a problem. And long before I was ever a pastor. Why? Because there is strength in each other fighting for each other. Why do you think we go to the courts with other people? Instead of just instructing them, here, here, here's a, here's a paper to kind of explain how to do it. Go to the courts. Good luck. It's not what he does. Right? We're to intercede for one another. We intercede for one another because there is power in that family. There's power in the bride. There's power in that unity. That's why it says, don't neglect being together. Now, I I know in this, I I, I preach to the choir in this, because we we literally use, most of us use any excuse we can to get together, right? Because we just love to be together. But it says even even more as you see the day approaching, what day is it talking about? It's talking about the return of Christ. Why? Because Satan's going to fight even harder. He's going to fight even harder. He, he wants that habit of yours to become not just a habit, but a detriment in your life. He wants those barriers to be built up to where that relationship is inaccessible, or you think it is. But that's why it says, He who promised is faithful. Verse 26 For if we, and this is something very important to understand, because this could be very confusing here. For if we go on sinning deliberately, in other words, known sin, knowing something is wrong and choosing to do it anyways. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. See, back then, you could take your your offering into the temple and, oh, I just sinned and bring the offering in and be cleansed. See, but when a single offering was made of such purity, which was Jesus Christ, there no longer remained a need for sacrifice. So it says, if we go on sinning deliberately... There's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But instead, verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And he lays it out. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. In, In other words, anybody who goes against the law historically died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses says in Deuteronomy how much more how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of god and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace now see this is a really important thing to understand because so many people read that and say you can lose your salvation. That, that, well, knowingly I've, I've received Christ into my heart, but now I deliberately sin. And so now he, I can't receive him twice. So, so now I lose my salvation because of this. That's not what it's saying. Okay, understand the difference between justification and sanctification. Our right that Jesus Christ purchased on the cross for us to have a ticket to heaven versus our right to have a relationship with Him. When we sin deliberately... When we sin a known sin, we are literally building those blocks, that wall that keeps us from Jesus Christ, keeps us from understanding who He is, keeps us from that relationship with Him. But see, it doesn't just do that, and that's what it's talking about here. It literally allows the destroyer in your life Do you understand? It literally allows the destroyer in your life. It says here, uh, verse 27, it, said, it says here, you know, the, the consequences is a fearful expectation of judgment. By the way, what, w- that word judgment there is a very interesting word. It's actually in the Greek, it's a legal term and it literally means court decision, literally means a decision that a court makes, okay, and a fury of fire that will consume you, does it say that? No, it doesn't, pay attention to the words, It says, this fury of fire, this thing that that you allow into your life, that Satan literally propels, this fury of fire, this fire that will consume adversaries, it will not consume you, it will not take away your salvation, but it can destroy your life. It can destroy your very life, and what he's saying here is just to kind of wrap it all up is this: look guys, Jesus is offering a relationship to you. The justification part, when you were saved, that was a hundred percent grace. that was a gift. Of a 100%, He did everything. All you had to do in your heart and with confession of your mouth is receive Him. Ask Him to become Savior of your life. That had to come from the intent of your heart, but you didn't have to do anything for it. You didn't have to work for it. You just had to say, My life is yours. Then at that point, as you build this relationship with Christ, the enemy wants to destroy that. Because if he already lost your soul, he certainly doesn't want you to be effective. Right? He doesn't want you to be effective for Christ. So when he comes and attacks you, His intent is to gain authority. Think think about this. The first time a heroin addict maybe smokes pot. They're not addicted. They try it again. Try it a couple more times. Try something a little harder. You know, there was a process to them becoming addicted. Same with pornography. Saw something once felt guilty, kind of stayed away from it, saw saw something again, and a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, until it became a habit. It became an addiction. What do you think's in operation there, guys? The enemy is gaining the very authority that you're giving him in in your life through deliberate... Sin. He gains authority two ways. Through deliberate sin, sin that you know of and you make choice of. And also generational sin, unintentional sin that comes down from your forefathers. We all received it from Adam. Right? We all deserve death. Why? Because of him. Can't wait to talk to him. But in reality, if it wasn't him, it would have been his son or his son. Because, see, we can't be pure without God. So, see, the very authority that we give in that deliberate sin takes on a power that when it's fully matured, you can't get out of. It's it's, it's next to impossible. Ever talk to a heroin addict? That that's all they do, that's all they want. They just need that next fix. Do you think they started that way? Do you think it was a progression in your own life? Look at things that you know are not supposed to be in your life. Did it start that way? Or did it progress because of authorities that you gave that you just didn't think was a big deal? See, Satan likes to hide things under the terms of not a big deal. But you know what? When you understand that the cost is relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the biggest deal. And that's what the bride is about to understand that's what Jesus is doing in, in Revelation 3-9, in the wedding of the bride. He will lay it before the bride to understand how precious they are, but there is a cost to that relationship. But understand, even if we are not faithful, He is. Even if you don't feel like you can go to him for the thousandth time to ask forgiveness, you can. How often, do, how often do you think the children of Israel offered sacrifices for their sins? I'm sure there were probably people there all the time. And I'm not talking about the once a year thing. I'm talking about the daily things that the priests dealt with. See, Jesus is there for you to not only offer forgiveness of your sin, but there to say, you know what? You don't have to be bound by this anymore. You don't have to be. His power allows you to be free from that. And We'll get into next week a little bit of what that looks like. And how that can happen. Father, we worship You and praise You, Lord. We thank You, God, because You are Almighty God. We thank You, Lord, that You sent Your Son to give us this opportunity, this opportunity of Your grace, but the opportunity of the very relationship that You have planned with your people. Father, I ask this morning that you search our hearts and know us. That you speak to our hearts, that you release your Holy Spirit to convict. Show us, Lord, the walls that are between you and us. Show us, Lord, if, if there is even a veil between us and you, because we have not accepted you as Savior, have not received you into our heart from a pure heart. But God, speak to us. Reveal, because we desire this relationship with you. We desire more. We desire a purity. Of that relationship. And we thank you and we we wait expectantly, Father. We wait expectantly for what you want to do. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity. If there is anyone in here that has never received Jesus Christ into their heart. It is such a simple yet critical thing. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I just want to give you the opportunity. if, If you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, I want you to talk to me afterwards. Because it's also not just repeating a simple prayer can be because it's about a heart's desire and then i want to encourage each of you that has accepted him that has this relationship this capability of relationship Beyond this morning, just continue asking him to reveal to you what comes in the way of hearing his voice. What comes in the way of you growing that relationship with him. Remember Hebrews said, he's the faithful one. He will show. He will reveal. Father, we worship you and praise you and I thank you. For each of these precious people here, in Jesus' precious name, Amen.
1: Well, I know that uh, was. I hope it was a heavy word because of the gravity of what it means, but I hope that you found it to be a happy word, and I say that just because, um, really, what you just heard is a pathway to freedom. And every one of us needs freedom in some form or another, in um, just restoring the joy of our life. So I just really hope that um, you'll listen to that again and again, because you got to grasp what this is about. And I know if I don't think this is, applies to anybody here, but if you look at it through the lens of religion, then it can sound like a big, heavy hassle to think through all that depth of stuff, and that it's just kind of too much to deal with. So I'll just think about something else. But believe me, it is the exact key to everything that our hearts desires are about. And um but it's worth hearing again for sure. Hebrews itself is a heavy book, but those concepts are such a direct step to freedom. I just really hope that you'll yes. um you'll listen again and that's why we have the podcast and we have the online so that you can chew on it a little bit, especially if you are struggling at all with um you know just not having had a nice, good night's rest—if you know—there can be issues where sometimes it's not even physical, but maybe you're struggling with um, some some sort of a weird distraction, even spiritually, that you you can't make sense of. Go back and listen to the messages again. Don't think that this was your only shot. Our brains can only absorb a certain amount, and that's why we make this available to you over and over again. Um, and uh, I know it will encourage you. Um, I uh, wanted to make a couple of really important announcements.